Welcome to the second half of my interview with Jay Hack, a friend and former business school classmate of mine who was a former U.S. Army officer leading Norwegians in their homeland for an oil and gas company. I recommend part one of this interview. It'll give you a lot of context on who Jay is and some leadership lessons and examples we talked about there. In this part of the interview, we talk about the one question you should ask people when turning around an organization how to motivate people to move some drier business metrics, how to avoid faux pas in a new environment, and Jay's final advice for new leaders. Hope you enjoy. Jay, would, would love to hear uh, as many stories as you can tell about leading people in foreign cultures. Uh, about a year into my, uh, my time at Norway, uh, my boss came to me and we had a resignation uh, and uh, the supply chains and operations team. He and I had a, had, a, uh, had a good conversation, you know, and he mentioned to me offhand that I was the first non-Norwegian that, in the company that, w- that was taking, uh, taking a role in a, in a manager role, a manager position. And he also mentioned something that uh, he's seen one or two other companies in the region do this, but never anyone successfully. But he had a lot of hope that uh, I would be the first successful person. And I just remember thinking, okay, now... Uh, now I got a challenge uh, that I have to try to live up to. No pressure. On-time delivery is a typical measurement in any manufacturing company, and I guess ours was like fifty-five or sixty percent when I first started. Uh, and uh, and so there there was a great frustration uh, around uh, around late deliveries and bad communication around late deliveries, and. Uh, and so, as a leader, one of the first things I, I, I thought about was uh, what would what would what would great look like in this situation? I thought great would look like on time delivery in the '90s. There, there's some you know ninety percent or ninety five percent, whatever you want to call it, uh, but but it's a step change from where I was today. Uh, I also thought great would look like. Uh, one of the things that's very unique to this particular job was it was purchasing a lot of uh, a lot of customized equipment, and with customized equipment, uh, you can you can end up saving a lot of cost. Uh, I.e., if if you were to buy it from a fabricator in Norway where labor is fifty bucks an hour versus Poland where labor is much cheaper, you can have disproportionately high cost savings. So I thought one of the metrics of success would be how much positive purchase price variance can we enact? And uh, it should be on, uh, you know, five plus percent. So if we say we can normally build this for a million bucks, uh, I want to be able to say I can build it for uh, 950000 That would be awesome. Uh, but but it, it creates uh, a lot of... Uh, a, a lot of uh, interesting conversations. So I had uh, at the time, uh, uh, most of the people that reported for me had been doing their particular function for their entire careers. And I would say the average experience was probably about 25 years. So as a new person, an American, uh, I'm asking them to do something different uh, than what they've done before and, and, and evaluating their performance differently than how they've been historically evaluated for the past five or 10 years they've been with the company. We also uh, 
uh, had uh, had to do, I would say, something that was a little bit different in his lines of communication. Uh, it's a more introverted culture, uh, and, and so part of part of uh, part of uh, doing this is selling the message uh, to one of my peers and a few of my peers' direct reports, and kind of getting them in the boat. They were they were incredibly frustrated by some of the communication and late deliveries and. You know, we we brought them into the fold, and and they spent uh, we spent probably fifty or a hundred hours in a workshop uh, trying to sort through some of these uh, complex issues. And I would say, if I had to succinctly, uh, if I had to succinctly state what makes success is, I found if I ask people describe the current state and ideal state of what is currently happening in the organization. You will learn a lot, a tremendous amount about what a person thinks and believes. Uh, and if your if your if your viewpoint on the current and ideal state in the organization is drastically different, uh, I think that's the first place to start before you talk about anything else. Is what is the desired outcome, and where are we at present? But once once you, once you have the goals clarified of what should occur. The implementation was actually fairly easy. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. Um, I think that one thing I like in particular is your emphasis on what would great look like in this situation, and obviously that's super important for any new leader. Um, and you know, obviously you weren't a new manager at that point, but um, I think there's a a tendency for a lot of new managers, especially perhaps ones, you know, from the military, it's easy to do this, um, or maybe even, you know, manufacturing sort of environment where your, your job on paper and what you've interviewed for, what you've been placed, what you're getting paid for is to sort of like run this steady state thing. Um, and you could fill your day just running it. Um, but you know, clearly like, you had a goal in mind and, and the real mission is to evolve that organization to be more high performing, um, you know, safer, provide more value. So um, I think that's, that's really important. When you ask the question, what is, what is, what is our current and ideal state? And you get something back that is so radically different that, than what you would, what you would originally uh, perceive to be. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I mean, I might say, "Hey, great for me." Looks like uh, the corporation's profit margins go up by X, and uh, and uh, on-time delivery goes up by X. Everybody gets their bonus, and, and and things are great. My peer might say, "Hey, great looks like to me." You get out of my way and uh, let my people do all the work, <laughs> and uh, your team doesn't know what they're doing. <laughs> I mean, it's a uh, it's such. And I, I I I'm being a, I'm kidding. I, the guy who I work with, he may actually listen to this. Uh, but uh, but 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 when you're coming from such a radically different place, and, and I, I'm exaggerating his response a little bit, but. But uh, you know you have to go back and re and, and and spend a lot of time just rebuilding towards uh, towards some kind of common picture. Yeah, totally. And and I want to I want to hear more of of these stories because I feel like just having them in that context where you're overseas, just like everything, the, it feels like the stakes are higher. The situation is more abnormal. Where I think they 
um, the lessons really come through. But maybe before you know going to um, the next one, how do you get people to really feel ownership and pride in you know positive purchase price variance? Right. A, a lot of listeners won't have you know know what that is. It took me a few seconds to figure out what that is. You don't need to explain it. That's fine. But I'm imagining, you know, a blue collar worker who's 25 years in, you know, has some kids growing up in Norway, you know, uh, like, why do they care about that? Right. And I think this is a challenge for, you know, everybody, um, you know, unless there's some, unless you're, you know, curing cancer or, um, you know, saving each other's lives on a battlefield. Like, how do you make people proud of that goal and metric? So I, I think what uh, it's a great question because it's hard. Uh, I think I, I think you have to relate it back to something that everybody can get behind. So on time delivery, let's use that one. Being on time, committing to something, and say I can follow through with it. That's much easier to get behind, right? Uh, how many times when you order something and and a person is late. Uh, how does that make you feel? It makes you feel bad, right? Uh, you're like, hey, I bought this, and and this is what a, and, and you didn't fulfill your commitments, and now I'm I'm upset, I'm angry, I'm frustrated. Uh, I think you can relate it instead of a functional component, maybe to an emotional or social component. Uh, so let's take some of these uh, some of these more uh, more ambiguous metrics. I think everyone can get behind that our company uh, our company needs to needs to, in order to be successful and, and provide more opportunity, we need to be able to grow and invest more back in the business. So uh, so in the in the case of this example, one of the things I already I always highlighted was our company had spent ten million dollars building a new operations facility. And part of part of us, uh, so that operation facility provided jobs. It was a astronomically better place to work. But part of uh, part of our commitment in, in this uh, uh, is that our organization we we had a uh, we had some commitments in order to make that uh, that pay off. And so what would I would I would I kind of uh, what you what you try to get people to to, to buy in on is hey look uh, our company is going to grow and prosper and part of us growing and prospering is we need to do these things and and uh, I I don't think it's I don't think anyone wakes up and gets too excited about uh, purchase price variance but what I think people might get excited about is hey look I want to be part of a company that's growing and and taking market share and delivers the most innovative and and uh, products that the customers uh, value and are, and are passionate about and, and, and are excited. Uh, you know, the customer is excited when he comes to visit our facility and sees, and sees what we're doing. Uh, I think that is more motivating. Right. And, and I, I really do think that, uh, I, I'm guessing you agree, that um, one of the most important uh, jobs of a leader is that that motivation, but um, so many people are are terrible at it, or or don't maybe try as much because it's just like either they're bashful about it, or it's sort of like, hey, you know, this is everybody's job. Like, I'm not going to put the effort into to motivating them. But um, there's something to be said for you know all of us in this together, 
making customers happy or whoever's on the other side of that transaction and then you know seeing a metric move based on your effort you know i think that um that can pay off and be motivating in and of itself even if it's you know whatever like putting up a fence or digging a ditch i think so i think if, if you also can tie it to a vision of what like this is what we're this is what we're this is right. what we're striving for people uh people can get pretty fired up about it uh What's a little bit more challenging, I think, is an interesting question is, what do you do when someone's not on board with the vision? Uh, I got two examples. So I had, uh, and, and they may end up eventually uh, uh, listen to this call, but I had uh, six or seven direct reports, and then I had, uh, I had uh, some level of uh, indirect reports, and, and <laughs> managing foreigners is a learning experience for me. It's also a learning and painful experience for uh, some of the people that work for me, just because uh, it's so radically different. And I think you need, I think I need to, to acknowledge that. I'd love for you to uh, tell the story about um, the employee of the month. Sure. Uh, my, my, uh, my, my first month in, into my role, uh, I would typically do a all employees meeting. One of the things uh, that I always did in the U.S. was employee recognition. And so uh, I remember I, I singled out one of my managers. Uh, she she had done some uh, some pretty interesting work, and I had a big picture and and gave her some type of award. And uh, I remember thinking, uh, you know, I, I was doing a good thing. You know, we were we were. We were uh, uh, encouraging uh, the type of behavior that she was and acknowledging her in front of her peers. What I didn't realize is everyone was mortified afterwards. Uh, uh, I, I was good friends with the uh, the founder of, of of the company who was no longer employed there. And you know, not uh, not six hours later, I get a note saying, "Hey, come over and see me for lunch tomorrow." And I went over, and he's like, "Hey, uh, you know." Uh, I've had uh, multiple people reach out to me about uh, the the uh, employee of the month or the recognition that you gave yesterday. He said that's not uh, how that is perceived is not what you intended. Basically, uh, you're recognizing someone and setting them apart from their peers makes both that person and the broader uh, broader group very uncomfortable. And I said, well, what do you mean? I mean, someone did a good job. I recognized them. Uh, he said, that's just not how you think you're doing a good thing for the org, but you're really, what you're doing is you're creating separation in a team, for lack of a better word. Uh, and, you know, it's uh, it's a little tough feedback uh, because up until that point in my life, that's the kind of stuff I've done that, that makes an organization successful. In the U.S., that's very appropriate to acknowledge when someone does something right. Uh, but, but in this organization, obviously, it's not. And so as a leader, you just have to be adaptable and move away from uh, that was the last employee of the month we did. And uh, I had to share with my direct reports what my intentions were. And uh, how I viewed that they perceived it. And uh, they all kind of said, yeah, Jay, that's how we perceive it. This is not a good thing. And uh, I had to adjust. How would you, how would you get in front of that next time? So um, <laughs> I think that 
yeah, you and you and I have had some experiences where we we are the fish out of water a lot. So maybe maybe we've somehow intuitively um, gained some of this. I mean, I I've worked at not not one but um, two two fashion companies where it's dominated by women, and I think it definitely took some alteration of my style, uh, you know, to fit the audience, fit the culture there. Um, but I, I, I frankly, I don't think I did anything proactively necessarily to get ahead of, of that and adjusting my style. So do you have any tips for people on what they could do? Uh, having a mentor would be great. Uh, had I, had I been smart about this, uh, uh, I would have run this. Uh, so I mentioned, uh, my, my informal mentor in this case was the previous founder of the company who had since moved on to other things. Uh, I would have, uh, potentially talked about, uh, this was my first meeting like this. I could have talked to him about it. And the second I got, and I'm in, in the second I would get to this slide where I would think would be uh, a non-issue, you'd have been like, "Whoa, what are you doing, guy?" <laughs> <laughs> like, like, just cut that out. Or the other thing, which would probably be appropriate, is I had I had a, a manager that was essentially uh, like my right hand person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably should have run this through with my direct reports. They would have instantly picked up on, you know, like, "Hey, right. what are you doing?" Uh, like, don't do that. Uh, say this instead, and it will resonate uh, resonate better. Uh, one of my uh, one of my uh, peers pulled me aside and said, "Hey, Jay, I heard about uh, your meeting last week. Everyone in the company has." And I'm like, "Okay, great." Uh, <laughs> uh, he's like, "He's like, here's what you need to do. The admin in the company, uh, the administrative assistant." Uh, functionally that's what she did they don't really have that title but he he basically said hey i want you every time you're going to do something in front of a large group of people go talk to her and tell and tell her what you're going to do and go through it with her and she will give you good feedback that's that's what i did great advice (laughs) (laughs) and so i mean like i had some other funny ones uh you know uh you know i i uh uh about Two years later, I gave one in Norwegian. That they love that. That's awesome. <laughs> that's that's very cool. So, um, yeah, my Norwegian is horrible, but they love the effort. Right. That's that's great. That's great. I, um, I for me, the the biggest takeaway there, um, amongst many, is that you know when you're in these situations as a leader, you're not alone. Right. It, everyone whether you believe it or not, everyone else around you wants to see you succeed. If anything, for their own good, right? So <laughs> there is something selfish about, I will guarantee you, and especially if any of my direct reports ever listen to this, uh, my previous direct reports listen to this, I'm sure it was very painful having a foreigner as a manager. And, and that's acknowledged. And, and, uh, and there is some sensitivity around that. But but yeah, you're, you're not alone. They, 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 they want to, they want their lives to be easier. And it's easier if you if you have some kind of connection and, and commonality of how you work together. Awesome. Well, uh, I, I should let you go. This has been really helpful. Do you have any final words of wisdom? You know, if you were to, um, you know, talk to to someone new in leadership or even yourself, you know, 20 years ago, you know, that you'd want to, to leave them with? Uh, I would say, uh, don't be afraid 
to seek out a mentor uh, and do it aggressively and do it as early as possible. Uh, and uh, again, uh, what I would, I would characterize is when you're a new leader stepping into that environment, one of the messages I would, I, I would, I would suggest is uh, your personal success is important. I want everyone who's listening to this to be successful, but I would say most importantly, remember what your group is trying to do or your organization is trying to do, whatever you're a part of, and your peers, superiors, and subordinates. Think about how you pull their best self into the org to get the most out of them that accomplishes what you're trying to accomplish. And that will probably allow you, that will probably be the most biggest differentiator for you to do your job better. Awesome. Very helpful, man. Really appreciate your time. And, uh, and thanks a lot. And that concludes my interview with Jay Hack. I hope you took something away from it. I know I did. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. you heard come courtesy of Mike Koenig. Thanks, Mike. Few things are as comforting as a powerful rotor shop. Speaking of which, if you like Warrior Poet, you might love our sister series, 100% Indivisible, a podcast about Merck. Warrior Poet is produced by Laddie, with special contributions by Spoonman and me.
No, 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 no. Kevin, me na dua. Spita. Ah!